Welcome to Prefer Not To, your weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your host Josh and Kate. As always, I am not Kate. I'm not Josh. Every Kate and I have a cocktail and we talk about it and whether we like it or not and <laughs> what its history was. We watch a movie or two and talk about anything else that has floated through our transom that week and then send you on your way all in less than an hour. Hey, how was your week, Kate? It's been okay. Rained a lot today. Oh, it rained a lot. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Like seven or eight hours of rain, and I have friends out in California who are suffering in the drought. And all I can say is, I know in theory what that is like. We're still under a flash flood warning. Although it was a hot rain. Hot rain? You know, because you know when it rains hot? No. You know, like it's hot and the rain is like warm? Oh, you mean like it's really humid outside? No, like, like, it's, like it's rain in Booyah Bays. Um. I don't know. No. I mean, like the rain itself feels warm. So what are we drinking this week? We're having sangria. Tell me about sangria. Sangria is a traditional beverage. Actually, before we get into the drink. Okay. Let me give you our standard disclaimers. You don't like these, Kate. They're standard. And they disclaim. The first standard disclaimer is that Kate and I are not cocktail experts although we are becoming better at making cocktails. So we'll probably mess up your favorite drink, and we're sorry in advance for that. If we do, please send us a letter. We'd love to talk to you guys. Second standard disclaimer is that alcoholism is a serious disease, like the Tetralogy of Fallot or Dandy Walker Syndrome. What? And if you have those, you'd see a doctor. So if you have alcoholism, you should see a doctor too. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back to that. What? The Tetralogy of Fallot. Are you sure that's not a fantasy novel for young adults? That's where they got the name from. <laughs> what is it? Uh, young Aranath is in the land of uh, Mizdord. Uh, he hatches a dragon out mm-hmm. behind his farm's yes. house. Uh, they're growing mystic potatoes. And uh, the dragon likes to eat mystic potatoes, but suddenly their whole village is endangered because the dragon is doing nothing but eating all the mystic potatoes. Is this like what they eat as well? Well, they do, but they also sell them to the local lord, and the local lord is leaning on them because he's getting fewer and fewer mystic potatoes. And Aranath is like, I can't control my dragon. Yeah. So in the interests of saving the town, they have to kick the kid out, and thus begins his and our adventure. Oh. Yeah. Also, the Tetralogy of Fallot is a heart defect uh, that causes uh, blue baby syndrome. Okay. Which is what it sounds like. Your baby baby turns blue uh, because they get cyanotic because their blood is not fully oxygenated because their heart has these defects in it. What kind of defects? It's it's a tetralogy, so they are four different defects. Apparently you only have to have three of them to have the disease. But it's like a stenosis in one place and a thickening of the wall in another place. So what happens if you only have one? You have a different kind of. What about like two and a half? That would be the do do and a half ology. I don't know the Latin word for two and a half. I'm sure someone out there on the internet can tell us. I took Latin for seven years, and I still don't know the Latin word for two and a half. I have. I took. I've taken Spanish every year since second grade. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Actually, I could tell you how to say two and a half. Yeah. Never mind. So what you're saying is that I'm stupid. No, what I'm saying is you haven't taken, you've taken, when's the last time you took Latin? Exactly. I'm saying it's probably much longer than the last time I've taken Spanish, so you shouldn't feel bad. I don't want to argue. 
So uh, that's what the tetralogy of fellow is. And uh, Randy Walker syndrome. Not Rand- Randy Walker is a isn't he a pitcher? Like <laughs> I don't know. Therein lies the joke. No, uh, Dandy Walker, which is even better because I just picture John Cleese in a bowler hat. Uh, it, no, it's Dandy hyphen Walker, and it is a birth defect in the uh, ventricle at the rear of the cerebellum uh, that is one of the major causes of hydrocephaly in babies. Is it named Dandy Walker after two different guys? Yep. Yeah, okay. But it just happens to be like, oh, look, look at that fancy lad with an umbrella and a monocle. He's a Dandy Walker. What is that? So what is it? What kind of impact does it have on infants? Well, hydrocephaly is serious. That's when you have the buildup of cerebrospinal fluid because the cerebrospinal fluid isn't uh, venting properly. So that's when they get kids and they put shunts in them or do corrective surgery and stuff. Dandy Walker syndrome is serious business. Oh, hey, also, I looked this up earlier. Uh, uh, Olympic snowboarding champion Sean White had tetralogy of fellow. Had? Mm-hmm. Well, they do corrective surgery now for it. Apparently, the success has very low morbidity and mortality rate, and uh, people tend to do very well now. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, he reps gum. He does, indeed. He gets stride or five or something. Is stride still even a gum? It is, indeed. I had a piece today. When I was a kid, we had to we had to do extra because it was the only sugar free gum back oh, then. Did, did your parents do that to you too? Mm-hmm. The sugar free shit. I'm telling you, it was skim milk, extra gum, and carob. And then you know, you, you get out into the real world, and you're just not ready for how awesome sugar is. It's like unrefined. It's just it's just donuts and oh yeah, fuck yeah, whole milk. Although I will say, I never really developed a taste for sweets because I'm not really a sweets person. I'm, I'm much more either. of a salties. Yeah, me too. Not either. Yeah. I think it's the skim milk. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. But I do like swalty. Swalty? That's like, you know, like when you mix sweet and salty. Like a yogurt-covered yeah. pretzel. Yes. Chocolate-covered raisins, although those are not quite the same. Those or are like mostly eat, sweet. Or you eat like a brownie, and then you'd follow it up with like some potato chips. Peanuts and raisins. Oh, my God. Trail mix, really, in general, is right. great for that reason. Why, what, what is it about being on a trail that you need cashews for? Um, I'm guessing it's the association with protein. Yeah, I guess that's it. I'm never going to be I, on a trail. I, so. I mean, I guess. I, I mean, don't know. honestly, if I'm on a trail, I am the trail mix. Because A, it means the world has ended. And my only utility in a post-apocalyptic nightmare hellscape, as we've discussed before, is food for my fellow superior humans to carry on uh, the race. Um, in that case, if we're together when this happens, which I can only assume that we would be. Yeah, I would. Uh, how would you like to die? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to see it coming. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the rabbits, George. That I don't. I don't want to know. I just want you to sneak up on. You have my permission right now. Post apocalyptic hell, uh, hellscape. Now this is presuming that the food stores are gone. Oh, okay. So, so the, the the local Walmart is is completely ransacked. Right. In our attempt to raise our own uh, you know, vegetables, not, no, has been no the, this by it would be before the plague. no. It would be before the attempt to raise the animals, because honestly, nobody that we're hanging out with is going to be successful at any form of agriculture, aquaculture, animal husbandry uh, at all. You speak for yourself. I am Who? Who? Who do you know who can from the ground make food? I would argue no one, but I would also counter Uncle Chester. I would counter with the fact that, you know, adversity brings out the best of in us all, so you never know until you need to know, you know? By that argument I should want some adversity. Eh. I don't want adversity. Just saying you don't know who you are until, you know, you're strapped to Goldfinger's table and he's, you know, like there's like a laser coming mm-hmm. out your crotch. I don't know. That seems pretty gay, isn't it? <laughs> like, uh, let's be honest. For a scene that features someone named Pussy Galore, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, but, you know, the movie also implies that she's kind of gay. 
Oh, yeah. I thought she was gay in the novels. Yeah. Um, yeah but seriously, like, Arik Goldfinger, he's like, you know, he's obsessed with James Bond's penis. And he straps him to that table with a laser. <laughs> that's two strikes right there. I mean, well, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, that's a very specific yeah. thing, you know, to do to somebody. Like, to focus on their penis. So what are you saying is he should have, like, a laser pointed at his eye or something? I'm just saying there's lots of ways to torture people. True. A very slowly moving laser toward a man's crotch who you have, by the way, manacled spread eagle to a tilt table in your sex dungeon. It's not his sex dungeon. Well, it's, it's his dungeon, like his, his and I'm assuming he doesn't. Dungeon. I'm assuming he doesn't have multiple dungeons. I'm assuming you know during work hours it's his work dungeon, after hours it's his play dungeon. Which yeah. you know, I mean, twenty four. You can't even Goldfinger can't work twenty four hours I was a day. Say it's kind of like Lex Luthor and his uh, his underwater subway. Pool, oh no, Lex is all business. Also, Lex is asexual. Tumblr told me that. Lex no, is meant, he's agender, as, a, a, asexual furry. Tumblr I told meant me that. more that like it's his lair, but it is, also has a nice pool in it. Anyhow, so much like the tetralogy of Fallot and Dandy Walker syndrome, mm-hmm. I like Dandy Walker green. I think that's the, that's the expensive one, right? Um, uh, it's Dandy Walker blue, actually. Okay. Well, that yeah, that's the one that comes in the box. Yeah. And they actually have a guy wearing a bowler and a monocle with an umbrella walk it to your house. Dandily. Who has Dandy Walker yes. syndrome. Mm-hmm. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so like those diseases, alcoholism is serious and... Seriously, you don't need to have a drink to enjoy our show. In fact, it probably won't help. So on that note, tell me about sangria, Kate. Sangria is a punch-based cocktail. I just, I just pictured like someone drinking a beer and getting hit in the face. <laughs> Excuse me. So sangria is a wine-based cocktail, usually made with wine and one other liquors at least, which is what makes it a cocktail instead of just being a wine cooler. Um, that is usually served in punch form, mm-hmm. um, meaning that it's made in bulk and is usually enjoyed at parties and stuff like that, much like the planner's punch. So it consists of uh, wine, which is usually red, although there are a lot of other different types that you can use. You can use rosé. I guess you could use champagne if you really wanted to get crazy. We're actually drinking ours with white wine, mm-hmm. but moving on. Uh, so it's usually red wine, some chopped fruit of a certain kind. Uh, oranges are really popular, lemons, citrusy type things. Um, although I decided to go crazy and add grapes and kiwis to this concoction. Um, a sweetener of some kind, like, you know, uh, not powdered sugar, I'm sorry, um, just regular table sugar, mm-hmm. honey or orange juice, any mm-hmm. other kind of like pineapple juice. Some kind of bubbles, if you want, like mm-hmm. Sprite, 7-Up. We have some Diet Sierra Mist in the house. And the addition of brandy or triple sec or both. I decided to go with both. To kind of cut the sweetness, I wanted the triple sec to make up for the orange and the brandy. It's one of those cocktails that's kind of whatever you make it. Like nothing in your kitchen is going to go in sangria and be wrong, except maybe for like... Basically, it's a wine and some sort of citrus-based liquor. Sangria is traditionally enjoyed in Spain and Portugal. Um, There's a couple of bottle-based pre-made sangrias out there. The European Union has actually cut down on them. So that only th- the only thing that can be sold in Europe under the name Sangria has to be produced in Spain or Portugal. How, how are they doing on that, uh, that Ukraine thing? And now that they got Sangria locked down, the Sangria problem solved. Well, that was back in January. Ukraine is, I think they're focusing more on uh, vodka-based cocktails now. You know what I'm that saying? That is true. I heard about that. It's uh, nothing but vodka cocktails. I think that's important because it's important to both of them. It is. It you is. know, you know how they make uh, vodkas. 
uh, mystic potatoes. Oh. That's how Ukrainians do it. Oh, well, how do Russians do it? I don't know. So that that's just a little interesting bit that, you know, sangria is bottled, but it is usually supposed to be made with like a dry red wine or a sweet red wine. Um, it was first introduced into the U.S. apparently in 1964 at the World's Fair. I find it hard to believe that sangria wasn't a thing before 1964. It seems because it's not like a pre-bottled cocktail. It's a punch. I, I think that's probably just a, a dating to the popularity of in, in the because I do sort of associate it with like, you know, like Betty Draper would throw a party. And have some sangria. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, so the beverage itself has its roots in red wine and wine punches that were served throughout Europe traditionally. The variation of sangria itself kind of dates back to the Romans who, uh, when they were colonizing Spain, or conquering it rather, Spain and Portugal, they started vineyards. Vin- vineyards. What is a vineyard? Well, there's a vintner. That's a person who makes wine. Um, They started vineyards along the way, and the farmers who then claimed these vineyards and made them and, you know, controlled them uh, often shipped, used their wine to ship back to Rome for kind of a classic mercantilistic society. Largely speaking, wine was also used as a common beverage back in the day before water purification because... Water contains diseases, so you need to add some kind of alcohol to it to cut down on the bacteria. And like beer was also used that way. Yeah, exactly. So it was very common. Um, so basically the idea is you can take your shitty wine, which is terrible, but you it's shitty because you need to drink it. And so it can't be like super tasty or expensive. And you add things to make it more palatable. It's like mm-hmm. coffee, I guess. You know, Coffee's bitter, so you... Yeah, but coffee's delicious. Well, I was just... Well, I, I don't know. I was just... Kind of oh, it'd be like day-old coffee that you then put, you turn into like iced coffee. Yeah, exactly, with a ton of sugar and whatnot. Um, so, you know, it's very similar to other red wine punches, like your claret punch that you get a lot in Edwardian England and stuff like that. I know I did. Yeah. Uh, sangria itself is very informal. It lends itself well to punches, punches, like I've said. And why is it called sangria? Well, I'm glad that you asked. It is because it is usually red in color, so it evokes blood, which sangria is the Spanish word for blood or bloody, depending on the translation. There you go. How's the taste, Josh? Oh, it's delicious. We we, we made it a lot last summer when it was super, super hot, didn't we? And that might have been right when we first started hanging out. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I didn't like going into the kitchen when we first hung out because I felt like I was invading your space. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder, still, wonder I where still, you got that idea. <laughs> I still feel like I'm invading your space. I but. like I like my kitchen. It's uh, you know, it's my it's my little fort. Especially now that we got the 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 island, it's really like a fort. Plus, I like to imagine during the day when I'm sitting there cooking and I'm doing dishes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen Molto Mario, right? Mario Batali's show. Yes. Right. So you know how he does it, like where he's cooking and he's got other people sitting in the bar and they're like eating his calamari and stuff. That's I like to imagine a Molto Mario. So do you want to be like a hibachi chef when you grow up? No. Uh, why would I want to do that? Because you're serving people like right there. I'd much rather be Molto Mario. <laughs> Bam. No, that's Emerald. I know. I was just trolling you. Hey, you want to do our movies? Yeah. Or our movie in this case this week. Uh, so in our tour of movies that have been number one and Kate's in my life, we were going to watch... The Peter Bogdanovich musical Turkey from the 70s, although it's seen some critical reappraisal in recent years, At Long Last Love. However, 
It is not available streaming anywhere, and the one copy that I was able to acquire in a game of chance was unwatchably bad in terms of video quality, not the actual movie itself. So what did we watch instead, Kate? We watched High Plains Drifter. Number one, by the way, the week after I was born. August 22nd, 1973. That weekend. So... Should I tell them about High Plains Drifter or yeah, you want to tell well, we can. I figure we can do it together, but I was okay. going to let you take lead because I think I took lead with people under the stairs last That's week. That's fine. So High Plains Drifter is the second movie directed by Mr. Clint Eastwood. Uh, it's a Western, sort of, in that it takes place in the American West in uh, what is presumably the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. It starts out, Clint Eastwood is a rider on a horse uh, riding out of the mists the desert, the heat of the desert. Wah, wah, wah. No, well, it is very Leonian influenced, obviously, because he'd been doing movies basically just with Sergio Leone and Don Siegel for ten years. Wah, wah, wah. So, you know, two guys who would, you know, if you're going to learn the craft of filmmaking from, learn a lot worse, especially Western making. Exactly, do a lot worse. So he rides into town uh, silently, as he is wont to do, and. Folks start looking at him. You see him flinch at a whip crack as he rides into town. He goes into a bar. Some guys start hassling him, and they tell him, you know, we don't get a lot of strangers around here. Life's too fast for strangers here in Lago. That's that's Spanish for uh, for what? Um, waterfall. It was lake. Waterfall. Don't go chasing lagos. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he goes into the bar, and these guys in the bar start hassling him. It and might goes, actually be for the mist that comes off a waterfall when it hits the water, mm-hmm. you know, down below. I'm not sure. I haven't taken Spanish in a while. Okay. All right. That's good. How do you say two and a half waterfalls? Uh, Dosi medias okay, fucking lagos. Fine. So uh, then he goes over to the barber. Again, hasn't told anybody what his name is. Goes over to the barber. Barber starts nickel and diamond him, saying, eh, I want you to pay ahead of time. The guys from the bar come over to him as he's getting a haircut or going to get a shave, I guess. Shave in a hot bath. Yeah. Shave in a hot bath. That was a pretty good Clint. Thank you. Uh, they start hassling him, and eventually they threaten him with violence, but Clint shoots him outright from the comfort of his barber's chair, shoots him dead, and we see him, we see him walking out as the undertaker notices that there are three new bodies uh, for him to... Tend to. Undertaker, by the way, playing, played by the guy who was uh, Exodore on Mork and Mindy. Oh, no, wait, it was the minister. One of, the, one of them, either the Undertaker or the, the minister was the guy who played Exodore on Mark and mm-hmm. You don't remember Exodore on Mark and Mindy. He was, like, he was a crazy guy who lived in Boulder with Mork and Mindy. First of all, you know, check your surprise that there was a crazy guy in Boulder. But he, he was, who thought he was from outer space. So it was wacky because Mork actually was from outer space. But Exodore thought he was from outer space. Mm-hmm. He was a fan favorite. He's like the Kramer of Mork and Mindy. Okay. Or like the, what's the next door neighbor on uh, Home Improvement? Wilson. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wilson. Yeah. Right. Or like um, uh, like Stacy Sprite on Paw Patrol. Oh, I love Stacy. Right. And the crowd like cheers and claps whenever Stacy walks in. Yeah. They've got that. It nice was like that hand. with Exodore. Yeah. Right. It was like that with Exodore. So uh, then he walks out and um, the sheriff comes to talk to him. Oh, no, wait. First, uh, yeah. First of all, uh, he walks out of shooting three guys in the barber parlor and is harassed in the street by a, a fancy woman who says, look at you. You just think you're so special. You keep putting on airs. And again, I'm not missing plot points here. The, the movie is already very atmospherically weird. And you can tell there's something it's working on a level that is not necessarily terribly obvious right away. However, 
Uh, so this woman comes up and harasses him. So you just think you're special. You're trash. I'm tired of you trash. And out of nowhere comes a really problematic scene uh, for this movie uh, that makes it almost, but I would say not entirely, uh, unjustifiable as a movie. And this is a movie that, on balance, I really like. However, I almost really don't like it because this scene exists in it. Kate, tell us what happens. I was going to say, uh, so she goes out of her way to bump into him on the street and he's like, excuse me, miss, you ought to watch where you're going. And then she's like, you're you're so crass. You coming in here smoking your cigarettes or something. She like smacks him on the face and knocks his cigar out of his mouth. And like she goes out of her way to antagonize him. And it's like weird. It's a very odd confrontation. So, of course, his solution is to drag her into a local barn and just rape her. Yeah. Just cool. Out and out, up and up and which I guess is meant to tell us that Clint is not necessarily a nice person. Right. But it was also it was weird because like, why is your reaction to someone? Because she was rude. Can we can can we just agree? That she, she was a horrible rude? person. But there are right. a lot of let me put it this way. There's a lot of horrible a lot of horrible people. people in this town. He only raped one of them. Exactly. What I'm saying is she was really and like, why did he just he, he theoretically he should rape everyone in the town if he was just going to rape this one. Chick. Right. And so, I, I you know. It really it's problematic. It's, it, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth at the very start because it starts off as a very standard Western. Now, Western. granted, again, he's not a nice person and he ends up murdering people. Not a nice person, so he does end up murdering people. However, in terms of things that you show on screen that make audiences incredibly uncomfortable, justifiably so, especially when this is a person who you've seen in heroic roles in virtually every other movie he's been mm-hmm. in or sort of anti-heroic roles, this isn't even an anti-hero role. But, like, it's really ridiculous how soon his mind just goes from, listen, ma'am, you're kind of a bitch, to, all right, let's, I'm going to go rape you. All right. And he yeah. just drags yep. her into the it's barn, raping rapes time. her, and then gets up and leaves. And, like, very quickly, and then goes to uh, the bar. No, wait, he already had, he goes to the hotel. Well, yeah, I'm getting to that. Okay. My point being, this is, a, it really stands out. And I think the only thing that you can say is that this is a movie from a time in which we did not take rape and depictions of rape in movies uh, as seriously as we do now. In terms of the consequences both for audiences and for our ability to uh, like the characters. And it's deplorable and I, you know, if it were being made today, I would not make it that way. Well, they also kept it. It was I thought that it was just something that happened, and they were going to kind of throw it away. But they bring up they bring it up a well, couple of different more times. Yeah, and they I mean, it, it's important for her to have a reason to come back come at him for vengeance, right? Because, for plot reasons later on in the movie. I just I don't know. But it was no. weird. Again, I mean, this is, I'm tipping my hand here a little in that I like this movie, but I can't justify this scene being in the movie. I'm trying to think of a time when rape would be a justifiable part of a movie, well, and I can't. Well, sure, like The Accused is a movie about rape, you know, right. and that happens. Yeah, okay, that's true. You know. But I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, how could this movie? I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, it just was, not that rape, rape it always leaves a sour taste in my mouth when it comes to a movie. It almost is always unnecessary. But this one was even more unnecessary. I think, I could, I and again, know. I think, yeah, I think it is just, it is a relic of a time when we viewed depictions of rape just as a depiction of another crime. Yeah. As opposed to something that you're not just doing to a character in the movie, but that you're also sort of putting in an audience's head in a way that is probably not going to make the movie enjoyable for a lot of your audience. Good thing about Sangria, a lot of fruit to snack on while you're drinking it. Yeah. Okay. Right, so keep going. Okay. Josh. So anyhow, those of you who have seen the movie and, and were wondering, I, I, I am not justifying that. I do not. So uh, Clint then goes over to the, the hotel in town. Uh, doesn't even bother registering at the hotel. Just like walks in, says he needs a room. The hotel I need a room. I need a room. 
uh, the hotel owner and his wife, the hotel owner's wife, are sort of uh, suspicious of him, but there's not really anything that they can do. Uh, he goes and he gets a room and he falls asleep. And we have the first of his dream sequences in the movie in which he dreams of the town's previous marshal, who we had not hitherto been, hitherto been introduced to, uh, being whipped mercilessly in the street out in front of the town when several of the townsfolk who we have already met stand, along, uh, stand alongside watching and doing nothing as this man is really savagely whipped. To death. Well, I don't think we knew that he died. Oh, yeah, we did. He's whipped to death. Um, and then as, as the sheriff dies, he, get, he, he says to the townsmen, sort of mutters under his breath, damn you to hell. Clinton then wakes up and in the morning goes over to the barber to take a, a bath. Because he didn't get it the day before. Well, and, and a piece of detail, you know, you get your hot bath over at the barber. Uh, the new sheriff, who is a sort of Andy Devine lookalike, comes in, wants to talk to him, wants to talk about those three men that he shot. You know, we can't have you doing that here in the town. Clint just sort of begs off, why, why can't you? And uh, the sheriff says, well, you know, we've he fills in a little bit of plot detail in that we've uh, we lost the last marshal. We've had to hire some gunmen to defend the town, what he says, to defend the town. And those guys are now out of town. Uh, they might be coming back sometime. Those uh, those guys who we once hired and they think that we set them up. Uh, so the town's not doing in good shape. Meanwhile, the, the woman that he raped comes in while he is taking a bath and uh, tries tries to kill him with a with a revolver. And the townsfolk. Uh, fight her off to to keep Clint from getting shot uh, in a scene that was really emotionally affecting, I thought, because she was just like really angry and wanted him dead. And the town, you know, in again, a, a, re- a reaffirmation of what ends up being a theme of the movie, uh, the town's willingness to look the other way when people do horrible things. Uh, meanwhile, we cut to a, a town council meeting where they are talking about hiring another gunman. Eventually they settle on hiring Clint uh, protect the town from these three gunmen who they previously had hired, who apparently are coming back for revenge, who believe that they were set up because they're about to get by out the of townsfolk because they're about to get out of jail. Uh, and they want to hire Clint because, as one person says, he does the goddamnedest shooting I ever saw. Uh, they also justify Clint's raping of a townswoman by saying, you know, he's a man who's used to getting his own way and you let him have it. Meanwhile, the rape victim tells the town council they're completely insane and they're going to regret this decision. And again, she undergoes kind of a character change once we learn some stuff about her past. Mm-hmm. In the first part of the movie, I was thought she was pretty affecting as a victim. And I was like, okay, they're going to follow this plot through where she's a victim. So it's not just, you know, a plot point of him getting revenge on her or yeah. something. I mean, she was pretty kick-ass. She came after her, her victim. Came after him with a gun. After, right. yeah, with, with a gun. gun. She came after yeah. her attacker and tried to shoot him, which, I mean, you know, in the Old West, what do you, what's, a, what's a girl going to do? Yep. So anyhow, uh, yeah. So the story that the sheriff tells is that the crooks believed that they were due some gold and tried to rob a, a facility in town mm-hmm. and that that's why they got set up. It, but it becomes apparent through the whisperings of townsfolk that, in fact, they had set these guys up because they didn't really want to pay them for some undisclosed reason uh, for their services to the town. Uh, and they said, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Uh, one of the one of the folks says, can you ever remember anybody coming back and doing anything about something? But it turns out. Right. So. Eventually, it turns out that through, again, through flashbacks in another Clint dream, these men had been hired by the town to kill the previous marshal by brutally whipping him to death. Of course. Uh, meanwhile, Clint has been given run of the town 
as gunfighter. And uh, free drinks at the bar, free room at the hotel, basically anything he wants. He becomes a sort of petty uh, dictator of the entire town and can do essentially anything he wants. He kicks people out of their uh, homes in order to stay there. Uh, there's no room at the hotel uh, at one point, and he tells the preacher to take them in. And, of course, the preacher, being venal as the rest of the town, charges them hotel rates to stay at his home. He makes uh, – there's a local dwarf that works in the um... – Oh, right works in the barber shop um who he takes a liking to and decides to make him both mayor and marshal or, or sheriff rather at the same time just to yeah. fuck with everybody else and at one point one of the characters is like why i oughta and then like another guy puts his hand on his arm and says no 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 let him do it let him do what he wants right uh, meanwhile the three convicts are sort of slowly making their way back toward town they kill a trapper they ride menacingly back toward town meanwhile back in town uh, Clint goes to the woman that he raped previously, says, I want to spend some time with you tonight at dinner. I want you to be my dinner date. And she says, OK, I'll do it. But give me give me half an hour to get ready. And then there's sort of an ominous fade. And then they cut to dinner. Well, at first he, he kisses her into submission. Let's not forget that. She's all like, I hate you. I hate you. Beating him with her fist. And then he kisses her. And then she's like, give well, me, I think you're reading minutes. that scene. I think you're reading that scene a little differently because at the end of the give me 30 minutes, he leaves and she sort of smirks. A little no, bit. I know. I, I I got it later. I'm okay. just saying it's so no problem. They have dinner. They end up uh, sexing in some, yeah, because he loves his chicken fried. They end up having the sex in some way or other, which, you know, ultimately is obviously not healthier. You know. uh, but she, it turns out, had taken those previous 30 minutes to tell the rest of the town folk that he was going to be asleep and in a vulnerable state. And while he is still in post coital nap state, which, by the way, really rude to mess with a guy in post-coital nap state. Uh, she sneaks out of the room and lets the townsfolk in to try and kill him to get her vengeance on Clint and so that they can kill him because they didn't want to pay him the money that they were promising him to defend the town. And a reoccurring problem. Yes. However, Clint gets the drop on them and has already sneaked out of his room and is out on the balcony, throws some dynamite into the hotel room, blowing up half the hotel, uh, but uh, saving his own life. Next scene... Or, I guess, a couple of scenes after that. There's a church meeting in town. The, mini the minister says, You're, this guy, he's got run of the town. He's making us all turn on each other. He's making us all turn on each other. It couldn't be worse if the devil himself had ridden right into Lago. Uh, <laughs> he demands the only room at the hotel, uh, meanwhile, which is the hotelier. By the way, the hotel owner is one of the men who organized the plot to kill the previous, uh, previous marshal. He demands the only room in the hotel, which is the hotel owner and his wife's room. Hotel owner, owner's wife thinks that he is going to take her up and rape her uh, in the room. They have an argument. He says, no, I'm not going to rape you. Well, so he grabs her and starts dragging her off mm -hmm. to their room. And right. she looks with very panicked eyes at her husband, who just kind of shrugs. Shrugs. Like, Sorry. Right. But then once they get up there, Clint's like, I'm not going to rape you. And she's like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And they sort of. He's like, you don't know who I am. And then he, she starts hitting him and hitting him, and then she kisses him for some they, reason. They collapse into a right. sexy ball of sex. There, had, there was a weird sort of sex tension going on there uh, to begin with, I thought at least. No, there is, because there's a lot of them looking at each other. And like, hey, do I? Yeah. Silent shots, like where you notice she turns, and then he turns, and they see each other. Right. So they wake up in the morning. Sorry, I was going to say, it should be said, she has a pair of scissors. She's ready to defend her virtue. And he's like, baby, I'm not going to do anything. You know you want this. And then she comes up 
to try and stab him with the scissors, and they end up making out and having sex. So, right. you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> so they wake up in the morning, and then she tells him the rest of the, the real story of the rest of the town, which is the story of the marshal and uh, that the that the town had hired him and she basically lays it all bare for him he seems surprised surprisingly unsurprised by the story that she tells him she also says you know uh, i have often wondered uh, if it's what they if what they say is true that the the dead can't get rest until they've got a gravestone because for the them. marshal was the marshal was buried in an unmarked grave outside of town outside of town and he's kind of just gets all clint eastwoody and kind of grimaces at the camera and goes Mm. And then goes out about his business. So then he demands that they start taking a lot of the wood down around the town. He demands they buy buckets and buckets and buckets of red paint uh, for the town. He set up a barbecue. Right. He sets up a big barbecue. He uh, And then uh, changes the name of the town to... Hell. He paints the town sign, Hell. Welcome to Hell. And has them paint the entire town red. Uh, in a really menacing, scary color of red, every building in the town is painted red. Mm-hmm. And has the town do several preparations for when these three criminals are going to come into town to seek their vengeance. So, you know, you want to put a gunman there, you want to put a gunman here, and you want to, the rest of you, you want to hole up in the hotel. Meanwhile, on the day that the guys are supposed to ride into town, Clint leaves town and leaves them subject to these guys. Uh, and basically, these guys come into town and, uh, Tear the place up, mm-hmm. kill lots of people, wound lots of people, uh, and eventually sort of close in on the townsfolk. This is an undercover of darkness. Start burning buildings. It becomes a nightmarish hellscape of, if you will. of burning buildings. And they close in on the townsfolk who are holed up in the bar or the hotel. I think it's the bar. Yeah, and, I think it is too. Yeah. And are threatening them when Clint comes back into town in, in supremely spooky fashion, uses a whip... To pull one of the men out of the hotel, I believe, right? With the whip mm-hmm. and chokes him. Uh, hangs another one from a rafter with a whip. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be in multiple places at, t- exactly. one, at once. Uh, and kills a guy with a whip. And finally, the leader of the criminals, he is in a face-off in the middle of town. The guy just says, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And Clint doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything, and just keeps shooting him. Meanwhile, framed in silhouette by tons of flame and menacing uh, silhouette. It's very nightmarish. It's also very, like, it matches, tonally speaking, the scene with the guy being whipped before with the fire. And, like, in terms of an eeriness that is hard to kind of describe, but, like, the score of this music, as much as I've been making fun of it with, like, the traditional... It's very 70s synth movie. Yeah, it's very 70s, like, synth. It's not... It's no. very like, and like like a right. lot of random things like that. That's very jarring. It's very atonal. And 70s. does not match the western that you're seeing before you. So right. keep in mind that's going on in the back the background. Uh, so he sh- guns the last guy dead all the while while the guy is saying, "Who are you? Who are you? Who are you?" And then uh, he shoots the guy dead. Like I said, the town is burning down around him uh, in nightmarish hellscape style. In one last gasp. Uh, one of the, I guess the guy who was the banker in town tries to shoot him uh, with a shotgun, but before he can, the uh, dwarf, who he had appointed mayor and sheriff, shoots the guy in the back and saves the nameless Clint's life. Uh, then fade to black, 
lights come up the following morning. Clint is leaving town on his horse. Almost everyone in town has some sort of uh, gruesome deformity if they are still alive. There are guys without arms. There's guys without an eye. Uh, One person who seems remarkably unscathed is the hotel owner's wife who is packing up to to leave town, as she had said before, uh, to her husband. She was leaving him and leaving town. He passes her and they sort of do a nod on their way out of town. Then the last person who he passes on his way out of town uh, is... Mordecai, the, the the dwarf who he had hired to be sheriff and mayor, he said, you know, uh, we never knew your name. And uh, he's making gravestone. He's making a gravestone. He's painting a gravestone uh, there on the, as he leaves town. And Clint says to him, yes, you did. Something like that, right? Yes, you do. Yeah, yes, you that do. That sounded way too not. <clears throat> Hold uh, on. <clears throat> yes, you. No, I can't do it. Okay, I lost it. Sorry. And as Clint rides his horse out of town, the camera pivots and we see that the dwarf is painting a uh, headstone for the previous marshal, Marshal Jim, whatever. Dawkins. Jim Dawkins, Dawkins, right. Or something. And then Clint rides off into the shimmering heat mists of the desert as he did at the beginning of the movie and sort of fades out as he approaches the horizon. Implication being he was some sort of vengeful demonic ghost. Yeah. Of the previous marshal. Yeah. Uh, here to seek his vengeance on the town that looked on, hired men to kill him and looked on and did nothing as he was murdered. Kate, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I really liked it. I, well, okay, so the rape aspect was a little problematic, but we've talked about that. All. I did read in an interview that Clint Eastwood, apparently in the original treatment, his character was supposed to be the brother Mm-hmm. Of the marshal, and he was coming in just to get vengeance. I do like this more ambiguous kind of like, who was he? What was he? Especially, uh, Josh pointed out to me that the marshal's character is played by Clint Eastwood's longtime stunt yeah, Buddy double. Van Horn, his who had been his stunt double in like everything. Yeah, so there's a lot of doubling. There's a lot of... Um, and I think that's a really good way to sort of not tip your... And, and this is the thing. The movie ultimately is a ghost story. But it doesn't really tip its hand as a ghost story as it goes along. It does sort of expect you to figure out what's going on. I mean, it it is really good at sort of setting an aura of something being off and unsettling without tipping its hand too far, I think. Yeah, I, and I really liked it for that. I thought that the – I was really ready almost to tell Josh to turn off the TV during the rape scene and at, and the later, like – you know, you should arrest him. He raped me. And everyone else is like, eh, whatever. Like, that was very kind of disturbing. But if you can stomach that and make it past it after that. You know what? I'd go so far as to say that if they had done the movie with Clint Eastwood's character being his brother, the movie would be absolutely unjustifiable and untenable. I mean, you have to accept that Clint's character is a non-human force of supernatural malice it does explain a lot of his behavior in order to accept the behavior that he does and sort of being just an all-around vicious horrible person yeah i I not person yeah and i did think that it was kind of weird the two people that get spared his vengeance are like the dwarf that it's shown in a flashback that he wanted to help the marshal but couldn't and then also oh yeah in the flashback uh the only person who speaks up out loud against everything is the is the wife of the hotel owner of the hotel owner who, who hotel comes out unscathed has to drive her back and has to like drag her back into the hotel and say shh be quiet so yeah i almost got the idea that that the marshal and she had been having some sort of affair i mean it seemed like that was what they were hinting at but they never really 
sort of, you know, indicate it in the movie. But it, it sort of felt like that was what they were because she sort of looks at him like, don't I know you? And, you know, her willingness all of a sudden and his unwillingness to rape her, which apparently he had, didn't have which a problem okay with. with. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I What do you think? I mean, did you get that vibe? No, no, I got the vibe that she had some kind of relationship with the with the marshal beforehand and also that she felt drawn to the stranger in some way because he's only credited as the stranger when he comes back into town. I do think that the scene between them after he drags her into the hotel, he's kind of like, baby, you know you want this less than I'm not going to rape you. It's more mm. like, I'm just going to stand over here until you just said you want some of this man meat. Clint. Yeah. Clint right. meat. Until you want his Clint. And I mean, that that I kind of found problematic, you know, kind of like, if I imprison a lady in my room long enough and threaten her with violence, yeah. she'll fall in love with me. She catches like a lot of Stockholm Syndrome. But if you buy into the fact that he is a vengeful ghost who kind of has, <laughs> who has like a certain je ne sais, her former lover, like... Yeah. It makes a little bit more sense. I don't know. I'm. I'm not, I, I, I don't. It sounds like we're doing circumlocutions locutions to try and justify some elements in the movie. I'm not. I mean, I don't. You know, I think there's ways to have done the elements of the movie that involved rape that didn't involve rape without hurting the movie. What I really enjoy about this movie is I do, I do love ghost stories. I love horror movies. I love ghost stories. I love the weird um, morality play of ghost stories and horror stories about like. You know, what makes a person good versus what makes them evil and like how sometimes, you know, like in. Like well, and it's that element of horror movies will... where horror, where the horror creature is the enforcer of a morality, even though it's evil, it's an enforcer of a strange kind of morality. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of an essence of a lot of monster movies or horror movies. And I love that. I find it extremely fascinating. You know, there's a reason that, you know, the okay, well, here we go. Back to the well. You know, like in Predator, <laughs> when he lets certain people go because they fought honorably mm. versus they haven't fought honorably mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Just like I don't know. That's endlessly fascinating to me. No, I agree. I just like that it 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 is ostensibly a western from start to finish. And yet once you realize that it's actually, you know, a horror movie slash ghost movie I wouldn't say it's not horror. Not horror, but it has the structure, the sort of structure Mm -hmm. of a ghost, a ghost movie, a ghost story. It's sort of those pieces click into place. And the fact that it does it so gently as it moves along, I really like, I mean, it takes a a huge amount of confidence in the story you're telling to present someone who is so loathsome uh, for so long and not tip your hand like, hey, this is what's actually going on. A lot of it does ride on Clint Eastwood's personal magnetism as a star. Mm -hmm. Like he's very like... Just a lot of things, there's like certain jokes that they make where they just do a quick shot to Clint's face mm-hmm. or like, you know, him being sarcastic. And he'll like roll his eyes or something. He'll roll his eyes or whatever. You know, like there's a lot of that. Like his basic his basic reaction when uh, Mariana Hill's character comes to shoot him is to just go down into his bathwater and wait until it's over. Yeah. And that's like some slightly comedic. And I mean, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is based on his personal acting skills plus the idea that you just kind of have to buy into the ghost story as a whole and also i you really do realize very quickly that everyone in the town is an is horrible person right they're very clear from the get-go that these are venal nasty people you know it's it's a revenge fantasy in that kind of sense you know like you can't justifiably like yeah, and again, nobody deserves to be wrong, raped right and no one deserves to be raped which is my main problem like well he could have just maimed her he names the rest of the townspeople. Yeah, it's horrible <laughs> to say. It's but you know. Although um, doesn't she end up dying? Okay. I know. I know one of the one of the guys that comes out of jail punches her in the face because they yeah. apparently had a thing. Yeah, it, it 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 just it strikes me more as the fact that the one female character who did something wrong got raped as yeah. opposed to like 
punched. And I know hotel that owner didn't terrible. get hotel owner didn't get raped. And I know that sounds very horrible. Like just, but I think it's more horrible that that's what they chose to distinguish right. it. That with. oh, she's a woman, we'll rape her. Yeah, as opposed to you know maybe she just had like her arm chopped off at the end. I don't yeah. know. I I'm, no, it's I hundred percent agree. It's you know it's the unconsciousness of using that as a gendered weapon that is the most unsettling. And not in a good, hey, we want to tell an unsettling story, but in a do you realize what you're doing sort of way. Yeah. But overall, I liked it. Um, Like I said, I'm a sucker for ghost stories, especially like ghost revenge stories. I think those are very deep and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love them a lot. Yeah. And uh, And it is it's appealing the notion of being freed from earthly morals, you know, because you're a ghost, you know, I don't have to wonder what my eternal reward is. The only thing that motivates me is vengeance. And that is the code that I have come to enforce. And yeah, I agree. Yeah. Kate said it reminded her of Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. I was going to say it did. And I've been listening to that song at least twice a day ever since we watched this movie. (laughs) Um, Hey, you want to go make some more drinks? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Now you're just doing any more county. That's sangria treating you. That's good. It's very All refreshing. Right. It is. And actually very easy to make. I mean, I mean if it, you've got brandy or triple sec laying around, go get some cheap white wine. You're good to go. You're actually supposed to get good wine. No. But I'm like, why would you do that to good wine? No, you should never mix good wine with any. The thing that you need to remember when you're preparing it is that it needs, it's best when it's been served um, after chilling overnight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need and to so make yeah, it any in wine that you're going to leave in like a jug in the fridge overnight, I'm not going to do that with a good wine. At least two hours before a party, but it's best if you prefer, if you're, excuse me, if you do it the night before. A little housekeeping. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. We really, really, really do. We love doing what we do for you. We love hearing from you. Shoot us an email at pntcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at at pntcast. On Facebook, you can search for Prefer Not To and join the group. And see a lot of hilarious uh, pictures of me and one of Josh's cats, Lenny. Mm-hmm. On Tumblr, we are pntcast.tumblr.com. And our website is pntcast.wordpress.com. Um, okay. I was just going to say, we do love hearing from you. We love everything you have to say, critiques, negatives, positives, whatever. We also love to hear if you guys have any drink suggestions for us or something that you'd mm-hmm. like us to try, even if you've never had it. We really do appreciate it. And iTunes reviews. Also, hey, if you listen to the show, we know you like it. So give us an iTunes review and say nice things about us so that other people can like it. We're also on Stitcher. And we're on Stitcher. This week, like many another week, we have no letters to the editor to read. Mm-hmm. So in keeping... What is this, with, episode 36? In, it is indeed. In keeping with prior practice, I'll be reading a letter to a different publication about a topic that I find either edifying or entertaining uh, or possibly both. So the background that you need to know from this, on this letter, because this letter does have a little bit of context. It's from the Marco Eagle in Marco, Florida. And uh, a town is going to be, the town is going to be, uh, the town YMCA is going to be adding a youth center to the YMCA. Oh, uh, shit. To do, to do some, like, daycare work and things like that. Oh, and so okay. this letter to the editor is regarding that. It just starts right in. Okay. There's no dear or no. to the editor. The, the, the headline is, I see no good reason. I do not see why they need a new center. And all the talk is bigger meeting rooms, more space. Has anyone ever thought of maybe having something for the seniors of this island, like an indoor walking track, so we do not have to walk outside in this terrible heat and humidity? Also, maybe a gathering room where people could go, 
It always seems to be about the young. There are a lot of seniors on this island that would like to walk but cannot because of the weather. I have been here two years now. I really miss an indoor track, which I had at my previous location. I just wanted to voice my opinion regarding this situation. Things never seem to get mentioned regarding the elderly. And another issue is the cost. Is it really necessary? I can see no good reason. And that's from V.I. McDermott of Marco Island. Elderly. He's very much pro-indoor track. Well, he's, he's pro-elderly. She, I guess. Yes, or she. That's true. Um, and you just don't want to see like generational warfare like that. You don't. Especially not in the main streets of Marco Especially Island, when it's Florida. so hot out. <laughs> what occurred to me is like this person would still have to get in their car to drive to the YMCA mm-hmm. and get out, walk in the heat mm-hmm. into the building. And oh, I like around. a hot car. You don't like a hot car? No. Like when you first get in, like obviously you don't want it that way all the time, but like when you first get in the hot car, like it's like a free sauna. Like when it's like 120 degrees in there and you just like get your pores going and then you cut the air conditioner on like full blast and you get that, that Arctic shush on your face. Um, That's really nice. It's like the cold side of the pillow. Okay. That actually, I never thought of it like that, but uh, the car I had before this one, Optimus, Mm -hmm. it's air conditioning broke. So I guess I kind of got used to driving around without air conditioning. Yeah, that's true. And then this one... The air conditioning is kind of slow to ramp up. Yeah. Like it's it's there. It's just basically blowing recirculated air on you that's still hot. And then even if you like crank it up to the max and like on both the settings, it, it it's still very slow. And then all of a sudden it's like icy blast. Yeah. Like there's Your no. Your car is really just this side of the line between car and lawnmower. Lawnmower? I'm just saying it's kind of small. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's, it is very small. I agree with that. But also surprisingly roomy on the inside. I was sorry. Were you going for like a genitalia joke with that I or was something? Going, I don't know what I was. I just wanted to tell people that I drive a small car that is actually really awesome when you get inside. Oh God, that sounds even worse. Um, so back to the what you're saying is you want to let the world know you have a surprisingly roomy vagina. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> So what I was trying like, to say. When it comes in a box, is, that, is there like a little star splash sticker on the Surprisingly roomy. Yes, I have one tattooed on right my labia. <laughs> it's right there. If you care to look. It may look small from the outside, but it's surprisingly roomy. I don't think. I mean, pet, I don't know. Maybe pet that's, friendly. Maybe. Ew. <laughs> pet friendly. Air conditioned. Right. Cable TV, <laughs> HBO, washing Continental facilities breakfast. included, <laughs> dryer and washer adjacent, ice. <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that always the saddest though? Like when you're driving, like you're driving past motels, and like they have the saddest things to plug. To yes. to we have like, honestly. There's sometimes you'll see a sign that just says ice. We have so, ice. Super fan Calum uh, came over yesterday to watch the room with us, which God bless you. And uh, I asked him, he asked if I, he should bring anything. And I was like, well, Josh really likes Fresca. You should bring Fresca. And he texts me about 10 minutes before he's supposed to be here and wants to know where he can get Fresca because it's apparently really rare. No, it's not. And I said, just go to Food Line. If you it's, can't get it, that's fine. From the Coca-Cola company. I was like, if that's fine, you know, if you can't find it, just come on over. And he goes, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't anticipate how long this was going to take me. Also, the Fresca I got is, cold, is, is warm. And I was like, we have ice. 
like like many a quality like, motel. Like many a quality motel. I guess what I was trying to go for back back long <laughs> Young before. Young Arathon and his quest for Fresca. Before before we started talking about my uh my vagina. Uh I surprisingly was, roomy. <laughs> which hey I don't know. I feel like the need to defend myself, but I've never been inside my. Uh, yeah, anyway. yeah, that's true. Well, you know, it's like me and penises. I only have like the one. I can't really compare. Um, I'd like to think that everything down there is compact on its A game. I, I have know. no reason Maybe. to doubt your judgment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh God, I'm gonna regret this when it gets published on the internet. Um, You've said that before, though. Yeah, I have. What I was trying to say back when we we're talking about air conditioning was long before ever, I met you. Have you ever like? blasted the heat Mm -hmm. in the winter and rolled down the window so you get like the cold like icy 30 degree wind well i do that when i'm running the when i'm running the defrost because you've got to when you run the defrost you want it to be the heat but you want the air conditioner to be on right well i'm saying you this is assuming completely clear like there's no defrost you are driving with the heat blasting, and then you it's no, cold outside. I don't want to be hot. I don't. You know me. I don't like hot. No, but it's a light mixture of like the cold, cold air is coming in. At it you. is nice. I'll tell you what is nice. It's nice when in the winter if you go, uh, if you go swimming in the winter because you get that sort of weird hot, but you're wet on the outside feeling. You mean at the local YMCA? Right. When you go to the Y and you go swimming, and you run over old people on your way there who are walking on the track. Well, yeah, because you know. They, they they made their bed when they voted against the youth center, but uh, you know that youth center would have stopped my car. No, but you get like that glow, so you're like you get that post exercise hot like warm feeling because your body yeah. temperature is a little elevated. But you're also but it was but you also have the cold clammy skin, and then you go out into the cold weather. Yeah. It's a really cool sensation of like oh, I'm ha- warm but cold. That happens to me every Christmas. I'm yeah. warm. Well, not every Christmas, but the past couple. Mm-hmm. Why do you get hot? There's a lot of manual labor at work. A lot of stress, uh, a lot of like Yeah, but you're not wet. It doesn't have that sort of like, well, I guess you because you sweat a lot. I don't Thank sweat you. very much. Thank you. I was about to say, I, I, it. By the way, the number of evenings that I hear about boob sweat in this house uh, has gone up by a factor of all since I met you. Um, well, Josh apparently doesn't sweat like at all. Uh, and I, I apparently. A little. I just I don't sweat, sweat very a lot. Much. And uh, if we're going to go ahead and reveal things on the internet that, you know, are very personal. Or I'm whatever, like a dog. I just pant. Yeah, he is really. I, however, like you, I could be in an ice box in the middle of winter, and I would still be sweating profusely from my armpits. You can only imagine what it's like being me in the summer. The upkeep is terrible. It's terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's just my one of my is, things. I could lift a finger, and I would break out into like beads of sweat. On I my yeah, I hate sweat. I hate sweat. It's like it's on that list of, of with feet. His feet sweat, so foot sweat is the worst thing in the world. It's like me and milkshakes. Yeah, except milkshakes are delicious tasting. Yeah, well, I'm just saying it's milk plus ice cream. Yeah, that's, that's true. the worst possible combination. Right, okay, so I'm talking about something that is funky and uh, offensive. Okay. I guess maybe if like there was a milkshake that you was... know, like Chris Brown. I'm guessing that if there was a way that a milkshake could become sentient and ride a bicycle. You mean again? We, I yes. thought we learned our lesson after Korea, but yeah. anyhow. <laughs> to say if it could, if somehow we <laughs> we allowed a milkshake to become sentient again and ride a bicycle, that would be the single most terrifying thing that I could think of. You know, they're going to demand the, the franchise, and then it's all downhill. Well, they're going to remake it at some point because they have to hold on to the rights at this point, right? I meant the franchise to vote. Oh. 
who says franchise when it comes to voting? Like that that belongs to like history books and stuff. Like Hey Kate, do you have any recommendations this week? I do. I have two, in fact. Okay, so I was going to go ahead and recommend um, one of my favorite movies that's horrible and terrible and derivative, and it's just one of my favorite movies. It's like right up there with me and Hellraiser and Silence of the Lambs. It's a movie I watch when I'm sad. It's a movie when I watch from, you know, blue. Uh, the name of the movie is Ghost Ship from 2002, and it stars uh, Carl Urban and, oh my gosh, Juliana Margulis and a lot of other people uh, and Gabriel Byrne. For a little bit, very strange. Clearly, collecting a paycheck. Whatever. Anyways, Ghost Ship is a a is a movie about a missing vacation liner from the fifties or sixties that just disappears, and then suddenly shows back up in the ocean. And this is a salvage crew that has to go out and investigate. What would be cool is that I bet all the ghosts are like really racist because <laughs> it's from the fifties. And uh, there's a lot of, like, psychological and, like, weird things start happening. People start hallucinating. And as I'm talking about it, I realize that this movie has a lot in common with another one of my favorite movies, Event Horizon, which is okay. like this but in space. And my yeah. mind was just kind of blown. Sorry. Okay. Well, while, while Kate is collecting the fragments of her shattered yet, we hope, recoverable mind, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Review, which is a TV show on Comedy Central starring... Uh, comic actor Andy Daly, who you may remember from Mad TV and such. On it, he plays a character called Forrest McNeil, who is a reviewer, but not of movies or books or television, but of life activities. And in his callow yet pretentious and overbearing earnestness, you see his life collapse around him as his commitment to the idea of reviewing all of life's experiences leads to disastrous consequences so if you are a fan of awkward embarrassing humor i highly recommend review okay kate hey how'd you like the sangria um i liked it a lot any idea what we're gonna drink next week um Jen-Ricky? that sounds good i don't know i always kind of the spirit moves me right it so as always really enjoyed spending time with you and i hope you take some time to spend time with us again next week and i do as well Thank you for listening. Woody, woody, woo! <laughs> Rolling the, the Thompson, Thompson Gunner. Gunner. Talking about the man. <laughs>